Well, welcome again to Grace. Good to see everybody. And uh, welcome everybody watching online and our live sites in the Montrose building. Thanks for being here also. Uh, before I jump in, I just want to do a quick reminder. Um, if you are a part of All In, All Out, All In, All Out was a, a big vision effort that we, we had uh, here earlier this year and uh, where we were raising dollars for opioid recovery, interns and residents, and our sports ministry. Uh, just a reminder that there's a meeting coming up. There's two options for you. Uh, next Saturday night, 8 o'clock at the Jet Road building uh, in the auditorium here, <clears throat> that one will have child care. And then Sunday evening at 6 o'clock, same place, Jet Road Building Auditorium, that meeting will not have child care. So Saturday night, 8 o'clock after Saturday services. If you don't know we have Saturday services, we have Saturday services. There's parking, there's seating, and there's 2% off your tithe. That's all on Saturdays. And so that one, to reward you for your godliness, will have child care at it. And then Sunday, 6 o'clock, during student life groups and things like that here in the auditorium, it will not have child care. Um, we want to process through some things, some decisions we need to make in regard to the sports facility that we're going to build. So all good news, no bad news, just decisions and things we want to talk through and, uh, and kind of walk through together. So if you're able to be there, we'd be grateful for that and pick one of those and um, we'll talk that stuff through, okay? All right, we're in a, a series. We're actually going to finish a series this weekend that we've called Some Things You Should Never Do Alone. And we're talking about this idea that following Jesus is a team sport, right? So when God created our relationship with him, he created it in such a way that we have this deep, loving relationship with him. <clears throat> and then we also have this deep, loving relationship with each other. And those two things are inseparable. God would say, this is how it works. It's a team sport. You love me by your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You love your neighbor as yourself, and that's what it looks like to follow me. We've taken kind of this deep dive on John chapter 13, where Jesus says to Christ's followers, a new command I give you, love one another, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus, talking to Christ's followers, says, listen, I want that to be the hallmark of what it means to follow me. When people look at you, it's not the Christian subculture. It's not even really your doctrine and theology, not yet. It's certainly nothing like your politics. It's your love. And when they see your love for each other, this group of people who will kind of abnormally love each other and be committed to each other, <clears throat> that will be the sign <clears throat> that you are my disciples. And so I want you to love each other like that. And we said, that's a big deal, right? That's a big deal. And sometimes that's really, really easy. Sometimes you click with people and are fast and easy friends. They're easy to love. Sometimes it's very difficult. There's, there's pain. There's all those kind of things that come into it. And then a lot of the times it's just confusing. Like, how do I do that? What are the lines and what are the ways that I should do that? And so we said, into that confusion... God gives us what we call the one another's. Now, all throughout the New Testament, there's these different ways that God directs us and steers us and says, when it's confusing, you can use these. These are ways that you can express my love for them through you to each other. 
that are universally accepted. Every human being needs this. You can forgive one another. You can be hospitable to one another. You can carry each other's burdens. You can spur one another on to love and good deeds, etc. And so we said we kind of get our head around that and we can love each other in that way. And then we also kind of took a, a pause and said, let's make sure we know what we're saying when we say love each other. Because in our English vernacular, we use that word loosely, which is, which is fine. It's just the way that we talk. But we like love pizza, love sushi, love the browns, and love like our kid kind of a thing. And so the Bible doesn't use the word loosely. It's usually very kind of strictly defined. So we look for a definition. The Apostle Paul gave us one in Romans 12. He said, love must be sincere, hate what's evil, clean to what is good. <clears throat> this word love, the Greek word for that is agape. And agape love means a selfless love, an other-centered love, me doing whatever's necessary to express love to you. So love must be sincere. The word sincere is where we get our word hypocrite. So Paul's saying that love that you give to each other must not be hypocritical. The way that we would tend to say it is we love with no strings attached, we love with no strings attached, right? So we don't love in a hypocritical way. And then we also don't receive love. The reception of love must not be hypocritical. So I'm not manipulating you. I'm not controlling you. I'm not deceiving you. And when I love you sincerely and I receive love sincerely, that's what we then have said is how the one another's work. That it's a sincere giving. It's a sincere reception. And we likened it to playing catch. In the game of catch, at one point, I'm always a thrower. And at another point, I'm a receiver. And I throw and I receive. And that's the game. And so we give love sincerely. We receive love sincerely. And when we do that in our relationships, that's the one anothering that the Bible is talking about. So we've been looking at this. We, we're gonna, we looked at four. We're going to look at five these are all online, on the podcast, on, on the app, the whole nine yards. I encourage you, take, take the time to, if you, if you missed some or missed all of it, I give it a listen. It, it really will change the way that you think about your relationship with God and the people around you. It's a big deal, and it will really kind of unwind some of what we've taught ourselves or picked up along the way, and will dial us more into kind of the heart of God and how he he functions with things. So take a look at those things. We've only are going to, we looked at four, we'll look at one more this weekend, we'll look at five. That's five out of 59. <laughs> so we just picked these five to kind of teach us how to interact with the one another's. So in your Bible reading, or if you just Google one another's, you'll, you'll get a list of them, right? Um, as those things come up, these kind of talks will help you know how to process maybe the one that's specific to the, to the relationship that you're in, okay? So this weekend as we finish up, I want to look at one last one another. And this one's unique, and the reason that we, we picked it is because Jesus is involved directly in this one. So we're going to watch Jesus do another, uh, one another to someone. And we're going to watch him love them like that. And then he says something unique as we, we go into this account. At the end of it, he says, now you guys, that's us, the church, you will be blessed if you do what I just did to each other. 
So he, we're going to watch him do it, and then he looks at us specifically and says, this is a way for you to be blessed. You should do this too. And so it's kind of a big thing that we want to pull into our lives. Okay, so if you got your Bibles, grab them and open to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. If you need a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. It's page 874 in those Bibles that are in the chairs. And this is all on the app and on the website if you're, if you're watching online. Okay, so John chapter 13, page 874. Let me frame this for us just a smidget. This setting right here, John 13, is what people often call the Last Supper. I like to call it the First Communion. Okay, so Jesus and his disciples are in the, uh, a room that they rented or borrowed, and they're all in there, and they're going to have a meal together, the 13 of them, Jesus plus the 12. And this meal is, is the last time that they're together in this way before Jesus goes to the cross. So it's at this meal that Judas is going to get up, and he's going to go out, and uh, he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. He's going to go get the guys that are going to arrest Jesus. It's after this meal that Jesus is going to go to the garden and pray. The temple officials are going to come try to arrest him. And then he's going to wind up all the way, you know, in front of Pilate and then beaten and crucified. So this is the beginning of all of that. That's why they traditionally call it the Last Supper. But it's also at this meal that Jesus implements some symbolism that he says even to us, I want you guys to keep doing this. Because if you keep doing these symbols, it will remind you of the work that I did on the cross for you, and, and it will cause you to not lose sight of that. So it's at this meal that Jesus implements communion. So if you're not familiar with that, he puts in a couple of symbols. He takes a piece of bread and he breaks it, and he says, when, when this bread is broken, I want you to remember how my body was broken on the cross, and how that was a part of the payment of sin. And then when he broke that bread in the first communion, he dipped it in a cup of wine, and he says, when you see this wine, I want you to, re I want you to associate it with my blood, that my blood was shed on the cross, that it's this Old Testament imagery that when the lamb's blood was shed, the people were atoned for. They were forgiven. And so Jesus is saying, I am the lamb of God. When my blood is shed, it's for the forgiveness of sin once and for all. And then he does a third symbol, and it's the one that we're going to look at. And he says, I want you guys all to do this until I come back. Because if you do this until I come back, then you'll remember what I did for you on the cross and the power of it, okay? So that's kind of the setting, verse 1, chapter 13, the book of John. It was just before the Passover feast. <clears throat> Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had, the devil had prompted, already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, 
drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Peter, Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Verily, truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Jesus, as this meal was being served, <clears throat> the same meal in which he implemented the bread and the same meal in which he implemented the cup, he put in a third symbol and he, that described the totality of the work that was going to happen when he died on the cross. And so in the setting where he's explaining to his disciples, you're going to, he, he said, guys, you're going to get all this in a little bit here, but I want you to understand that my body's going to be broken. I want you to remember that. And I want you to understand that my blood's going to be shed, and I want you to remember that. And I want you to understand that on the cross, I'm going to wash your feet, and I want you to remember that. Now let's talk about foot washing in the ancient world for a second. Uh, in the ancient world, foot washing was a, co a common thing, and it was always the role of a slave or the lowest person in the house. So when you wash somebody's feet, what was happening was this. You're walking around the ancient world. It, you wear sandals because it's hot in the Middle East, most places. And as you're walking around the ancient world in your sandals, you're walking on dusty, dirty roads that are also full of, we'll just call it animal debris, right? And so that's what those roads are, are like. And that is your normal passage anywhere that you go in the ancient world. So it was very common when you went to someone's home, especially for a meal, you would have your feet washed. The thing that we would liken it to in our culture is washing your hands, right? So you probably grab a shower a day kind of a thing, but you wash your hands multiple times a day, especially if you're out doing something with animal debris around it, right? And you're going to eat a meal, you're going to wash your hands. Maybe if you're not a junior high boy, but beyond that, that, that's what you're going to do. You're going to wash your hands before a meal. That would happen all the time in the ancient world, except with your feet. But it was a slave's job to do it. It was a very bemeaning task to do that, very belittling to do that. It was a slave's job to do it. Maybe the lowest ranking person in the house's job to do it. Most ancient Jewish people would not wash somebody else's feet because they would have believed that it would have made them ceremonially unclean, touching animal particles and things like that. So most 
Jewish people would not wash someone's feet. It was a slave's job, the lowest person in the house's job, not the respected person's job, and never, ever the most respected person's job. And in the ancient Jewish world, in a setting like this, the most respected person at that table would have been the rabbi, the teacher, Jesus, right? So you would never cross your mind to have a rabbi kneel before you and wash your feet. It it wouldn't cross our mind to do something like that. You would never invite a guest over and have them do something belittling, right? Let alone like a respected honor guest. You, You would never invite me to your house and say, hey, before we eat, could you just clean the toilets real quick? Here's the brush. You would never do that, and I wouldn't do it. I would, I, would, I would immediately make one of my children do it, but I wouldn't do it, right? No way, no how. We wouldn't, it wouldn't even think like that. So when Jesus gets up from the meal, right, he gets up from the meal to wash feet, but the feet of the people at the meal would have already been washed, In the ancient world, when you had a meal, you didn't pull up a chair and sit down. You reclined. And so the the table or the food would have been on the ground. And then just kind of imagine leaning over on your elbow and you would eat with your food. And you would sit head to foot, head to foot, head to foot. Somebody's feet were kind of in your face when you were eating, right? That's why you washed feet. So when Jesus got up from the meal, all of that feet washing had happened already because the disciples were already eating. He didn't get up from the meal because he was at the meal. And he's like, oh, Peter, bro, man, somebody get me soap. This was not an issue of hygiene for him. It's an issue of symbolism, like the bread, like the cup. He's making a point. He's not performing a function. So he gets up from the meal. He takes off his robes wraps a towel around his waist, gets a basin of water and kneels before his disciple. He gets to Peter and Peter says, what are you doing? You're going to wash my feet? Yes, I'm going to wash your feet. No, you are the rabbi. In fact, you're you're just not my rabbi. I believe you're God. There is no way that you are going to do this And Jesus looks at Peter and says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. In hindsight, we look back and Jesus saying, if I don't wash your feet, all of the power and the effect of the cross is not going to play out in your life. You have no part in me. So Peter looks at Jesus and says, well, if, if it's about personal hygiene then don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and my head as well. I mean, scrub-a-dub-dub, Jesus. Like I, I, if it's about being clean, then cleanse me. And when he says that, Jesus says to him something fascinating in verse 10. He says, he says to him, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean. But not every one of you because he's talking about Judas. He looks at Peter and he says, you don't need a bath. You need your feet washed. You're clean but your feet need to be washed. And he's doing all of this in the context 
of the crucifixion and the establishment of communion. What's he talking about? Jesus is looking at his disciples and to us through scripture, and he's saying, listen, the cross is coming it, right now. It's here. And I want you to understand some things about the cross. When I die on the cross, when my body is broken, I want you to remember that. And I want you to remember my passion, the price, the intentionality with which I went to the cross. Jesus was not murdered. He laid his life down. He could have stopped the crucifixion at any moment and chose not to. And he looks at his disciples and us through scripture and says, when you break that bread, I want you to remember that I did this on purpose. And this cup of wine... When you drink this cup, I want you to remember that my blood is the atoning blood. That's a big Bible word. It comes from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, a lamb was sacrificed once a year on the Day of Atonement, and it covered the sins of the Israelites. Jesus is often referred to as the Lamb of God. His shed blood provided forgiveness of sin for anyone who would accept it. When we confess our sins, the Bible says, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His shed blood did that. He died on the cross once for all. Jesus doesn't need to die for five billion people. He doesn't need to re-die and re-die and re-die. He did it once for all. His blood covers that sin for all of us. And he says, I want you to remember how much I love you when you remember my body was broken. And I want you to remember how your sins can be forgiven when you remember that my blood was shed. And I want you to remember that a part of the work of the cross is tied to me washing your feet. I don't know about you, but when I accepted Christ, I was cleansed and forgiven. The Holy Spirit came and lived within me, the Bible says, and he acts as a deposit and a guarantee on heaven. The Bible teaches that when we receive our salvation, our salvation is never taken from us. Christ will never leave us, never forsake us. We are sealed once for all time. And I don't know about you, but when all of that happened to me as a Christ follower, the one thing that didn't happen is I didn't stop sinning. If you accepted Christ and you haven't sinned again since you accepted Christ, I need to talk with you immediately because we should write a book. It'll be a bestseller. Even though I'm forgiven and I'm sealed and I'm cleansed, I sin. I don't need a bath, but my feet need to be washed every day. Lamentations chapter 3 talks about the heart of God in such a clear and compelling way. Verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The mercies, his mercies never come to an end. They are made new every morning. The love of God and my salvation never goes away. 
the grace and mercy of God in my life as a cross fellow, a cross, a cross, Christ follower never ends. But every morning, I need my feet washed because I'm walking in a grimy, sinful, stinky world sinning. And here's a tattoo for you. Ready? It's a great tattoo. If I was going to get one, I'd get this. Here it is. Ready? The God who forgave me is the God who is forgiving me. Did you catch that? The God who forgave me is the God who is forgiving me. Right here, down the arm. The God who forgave me, and then the other arm, is the God who's forgiving me. Right? The God who died, whose body was broken, the God of the bread, the God of the cup is the God of the basin and the God of the towel. And the work of the cross is greater than me getting into heaven. And it's, it's more continuous than me being adopted by God. It is a daily process that happens in my life. I'm not being re-saved. My salvation is not being re-entered. God's not bailing me out and rescuing me again. He's cleansing me. I don't need a bath. But I need to deal with the daily grime of my life. And the God who forgave me is the God who is forgiving me. And who is doing that work in my life. And the bread and the cup and the basin and the towel are all expressions about the complete work of the cross. Now, Jesus does that to his disciples. He's making a point because their, their feet have been washed, so he's making a point. He does that to his disciples, and then he asks them this very fascinating question. He says this. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you guys get this? And looking back at the cross, if Jesus, if Jesus was here today, right now teaching, he'd say two things. First of all, he'd say, how about those Buckeyes? And then he would say this. He would say, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you get this? Because if, to, unless you understand what I've done for you, ready? You will never understand how to love each other the way that I've loved you. When I give you that command to love one another the way that you've been loved, you, you will not grasp that command unless you understand what I've done for you. The two are linked. And if I don't understand what you've done for me, then I actually don't have the ability to love someone the way that Christ loves me. In order for me to love you, I have to receive God's love completely. And the depth of which I receive God's love is going to directly dictate the depth of which I express love to you. Those things are tied together. We've looked at four of these one another's. Forgive one another, carry each other's burdens, spur one another on love and good deed, be hospitable to one another. Let, let's just take the first one as a working example. Forgive one another as you've been forgiven. My ability to forgive you is directly tied to my understanding of how God forgave me. 
And if I don't understand what God has done for me, then I cannot offer that to you. The degree to which I understand how God has forgiven me is directly tied to the degree to which I can forgive you. And wherever I have decided, consciously or unconsciously, that God's forgiveness was not necessary in my life, right there is the place that I will decide I don't need to forgive, I don't need to extend that forgiveness to someone else. Right? So as I understand that I've been forgiven, I'm able to understand how to forgive someone else. If you backed into my truck and put a dent in it, after tears were shed, I, I would look at you and I would say, even though you have done this egregious thing in my life, you backed in my truck and put a dent in it, I would look at you and I would say, it's okay. It's okay. Why would I say it's okay? Because I have backed into somebody's car before. I understand that somebody had to forgive me and I received that forgiveness and so I'm real apt to extend that forgiveness to you. I was flying home from Los Angeles on Friday and I got up to, to, to uh, go to the restroom and I spilt guys, uh, got coffee all over a guy, right? And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And he, he jumped up quick because it was hot coffee because it just been served. And so he jumped up quick and he looked at me, he goes, he, this is what he said, he goes, it's all right, man, we've all done something like that. Easy peasy. I, I, I'm so sorry. I need forgiveness. He's able to give it because he spilled coffee on somebody before. We've all done something dumb like that. No problem. And what happens is this. We draw lines in our lives of where we're not going to love as we've been loved because we fail to understand what Christ has done for you. Jesus gives two really strong examples of this in Scripture that are, that are painful but true lines that we tend to draw. One is adultery. He was talking to a bunch of, uh, of, of these self-righteous people, and they're like, well, we've never committed adultery. And Jesus says, hang on a second. See, you don't believe that you have to forgive this person, this woman that was caught in adultery. You want to kill her? You don't believe you have to forgive her because you don't think you've ever committed adultery. So God's never had to forgive you for it. You've never received that forgiveness, so you don't see any need to give it. And Jesus speaks into that, and he kind of blows their minds up with it a little bit. He says, I'll tell you what. He says, here's what, how you commit adultery. Anyone who looks lustfully at a woman in their heart commits adultery with her. And by the way, that would reverse, ladies. Anyone who looks lustfully at a man in her heart has committed adultery with him. Now, let's just take a quick survey real quick. Raise your hand if you've ever committed adultery, all right? Some of, some of you are incredibly chicken. It's sad. Raise your hand if you've ever committed adultery. Raise it. And if your hand's not up, you're a liar. And that's a whole other conversation. We can work on it, right? Jesus presses in and he says, do you understand what I've done for you? Even after you accept me as Savior, do you understand that I kneel before you and wash adultery off your feet? Do you know that? Like, I do that daily for you. It's, it's not just rescued and 
But you, you still struggle with this all the time. And do you, do you realize that the, the body was broken and the blood was shed and the towel is on and the basin's in front of you and I'm washing adultery off your feet? The other example that Jesus uses is murder. Because we would look and say, oh, I, I never murdered anybody. And Jesus is like, let's press into that for a second. Later on in the Bible, he says, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. When you cut that person off, can't stand talking to them, I don't want to deal with them anymore. And if none of that shows up personally, just kick it into politics. That, that group, those people, they're... Let's just take a quick survey. <laughs> Raise your hand if you've committed murder. All right, police officers, if you would just look around. All the cops have their hands up right now. Thank you for being honest, right? And Jesus would say, do you understand what I've done for you? I'm, I'm in front of you wiping murder off your feet. And we can talk about greed and gossip. We can go on and on and on and on. And Jesus, when he asks this question, do you, do you understand this? That the cross is necessary because nobody is above this. The broken body is necessary. The shed blood is necessary. And the basin and the towel is necessary. Because this happens all day, every day, to everyone. And if we don't grasp that and download it, understand that I am the object. I must be forgiven this way. I need that kind of grace in my life. I need that level of mercy in my life. If I don't understand what he has done for me, then I will draw limits and walls and, and places that are just un... And right there is where I will withhold love and stop loving another the way that I have been loved. Jesus goes on. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you wash us to wash one another's feet, I've set an example that you should do as I have done. What's the example? Well, the example, it, it, it's tied to like the broken bread, the cup, and the washing of feet. That's actually why here at Grace, in communion, we actually wash each other's feet as part of our communion services. All early communions in the early church, they all had a meal, they all washed each other's feet. It's the way they used to do it. So, so we just do an ancient form of communion, but we actually grab all three of those symbols. That's why. So part of it is the symbol for sure, but Jesus is talking about the heart here, and the example he's setting is not that we need to run around and just wash feet all the time. The example that he's setting is that spiritually, spiritually, I have to wash your feet in order to love you. He's saying, guys, if I do this, shouldn't you do this? That the constant day in, day out forgiveness is a massive piece of how we love each other. You know, when I'm talking with a couple that has a broken marriage, I'm making the number up. 95% of the time, 
That marriage is not broken because of an event or violence or something like that. That's 95% of the time, that's not why. Sometimes it is, and sometimes divorce is inevitable, and God even allows for it. 95% of the time, that's not the case. Most of the time, when I'm talking to somebody about their marriage, what happens is this. Somewhere we got mad, somewhere we hold a grudge, somewhere that turned into a wedge, somehow that turned into bitterness, that turned into distrust, that turned into independence, that turned into separate lives, that turned into I don't love you anymore and why were you even living together? It's not this horrible one-time thing that happened. Not usually, sometimes it is, but not usually. Usually, it's the lack of the basin and the towel in a relationship. That's why the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because if it cooks and stews, it turns into a cancer. You know, when I talk to, to us about like friendships, most friendships don't end over an event. Sometimes they do, most of the time they don't. Most of the time you talk to a person and say, I thought you guys were best friends. How come you don't hang out anymore? I don't know. We just grew apart. What does that mean? That means that somewhere in there, the junk of life started to build up. The, the absence of the basin and the towel came in. An offense was, was received and it was never addressed. A clue was missed. Something was forgotten and somebody was hurt. And gradually over time, over time, over time, over time. And two people who are Christ followers, who are to be known for their love for each other, just don't speak. If you're a child, if your parents are still living, and even sometimes if they're gone... If you want to have any kind of a healthy relationship with your parents, you must wash their feet along the way. I was talking to this thing this week. This guy was talking to me about something. And he, was talking, he wanted me to talk in front of this group about parenting, so I was talking to them a little bit about it. And they, they said, uh, uh, Jeff, you, you and Heidi have such great kids. You must be incredible parents. I said, no, our kids make us look good. So our kids know and love and follow Jesus, and, and, and they make us look good. Heidi and I, we're not perfect parents. I don't even know if we're very good at it half the time. And they looked at us, and they said, well, what do you do about that? I said, well, we don't save for their college. We save for their counseling. We think that's going to be more helpful in the long run, right, with things. And they said, they said how do you avoid hurting and bringing scars and pain to your children's life? And I said, I can't. I can't not hurt my kids. I don't want to. I can't not do it. My kids have to live with their sinful dad. I'm not God. I cannot provide them with a perfect childhood. You cannot leave childhood with no wounds. You can minimize them, but you cannot leave childhood with no wounds. It's impossible. So what does that mean? That means that somewhere along the way, my children, and I had to with my parents, have to wash my feet. Dad, I, I love you. You tried your best. You showed up. And I see that, and I forgive you. 
I do that with my dad. I don't talk about the negative things about my dad publicly. But if we want to have a conversation about a temper, I love you, dad. I see your brokenness. I know you tried. I trust that you love me. If I want to have a relationship with my parents, I have to wash their feet. If I want to have a friendship, I have to wash their feet. If we want to have a marriage, we have to wash their feet. And this is the example that Jesus set. He didn't look and say, if she'll finally admit what she did, he got up from the table and went to the disciples. They didn't ask him to do it. They were a little bit flabbergasted that he did. But in his heart and in his mind, he set an example for us. And it's part of the cross. It's part of what happened in our salvation. And Jesus said, I've set this example for you. And then he says this, the next verse is very true, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one that he sent. He's looking at his disciples and looking at us through scripture and saying, listen, if I do this, and I didn't offend you, I can't even sin. If I do this, and it is an illustration of my love. Now you have the example. And you go, and you grab the basin, and you grab the towel, and you take the knee, and you wash out the junk and the grime and the stuff you stepped in today, right? So that it doesn't separate, it doesn't remove, and it renews your love for each other day by day. And then Jesus lands with this promise. He says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. That word blessed in the Greek is where we get our word happy. You'll be happy if you do these things. If you don't go to bed mad and you have a tiff with your spouse and you guys take the 20 minutes and process it through and let it be in the moment, don't bring in all the other garbage, you will wind up happier because of that. If you're in tension with your folks and you go and, and with the basin and the towel kind of metaphorically and you kneel before them and say, you know what, I love you for who you are. Thank you for trying. You'll be happy because of that. If you have a breakdown in a friendship and, and you call them up and say, hey, listen, uh, I don't know why we're not talking. And that friendship is restored. You'll be happy because of that. And the people of God are known for that. Jesus, another part of the Bible, Matthew 18, he says, if a brother or sister offends you, you go to them. They're such a jerk, they need to apologize. Jesus would look and say, oh, you're probably right about that, but why don't you get the basin and you get the towel and you go to their house? You go to them. You make that known to them. Because this love, this love is what marks my people. That you would love them enough not to just let a separation fester. 
You wash each other's feet. And you do that for one another. I wrote down some questions that you may have your own, but I thought maybe these would help us think it through a little bit. This is, first one I wrote down is this. Do you, do you know someone with dirty feet? Do you know somebody with dirty feet? And in your heart and in your mind, remember, it, well, they did it. That's, that's the idea. Their feet are dirty, not yours. So is there any relationship that you need to go? Say, I love you. I forgive you. You need to go. I, listen, man, we really got into it. I love you. I want to own my part of that. You need to go. See, dad, I, dad, you lost your cool, but I had an attitude. That, that kind of, you need to go. Anybody in your life with dirty feet? Here's the second question. Is foot washing a part, a regular part of your relationships? Guys, being quick to forgive, not stuffing things, not putting them away, not blowing them off, but it doesn't mean that we need to have an hour-long conversation every time we spill milk. But it does mean that we don't ignore things that actually hurt us that actually cause a wedge between us. So to forgive as we have been forgiven, Jesus would say, well, this is part of what it looks like. It looks like the bread, and it looks like the wine, and it looks like the basin and the towel. Is it a regular part of your relationships? Here's the last one. Is there anyone, any relationship in the church that's broken. Because Christ would look and say, not in my church. In fact, he would say, when we're taking actual communion, the scripture would say, if you're at odds with another believer, you should not even take communion. Because it's a, it's a bit of a mockery that Christ died, Christ bled, Christ washed my feet, but I'm not talking to so-and-so. So in the church, there is no place for broken relationships. There's lots of places for broken people. But the relationships have to be washed. So is there a broken relationship? Is there a reason you don't attend that life group anymore? Is there a, a tension or a bitterness that you're kind of harboring toward a person? And Jesus would say, not in my church. In, in a group of people that is to be defined by our love for each other, what does it, what does it mean and what happens when we're, when we're defined by our division from one another? It's the strongest testimony we would have. And so God would say, you, you deal with that, guys. Deal with it as a high priority. And you go to each other and you wash each other's feet and, and you forgive freely and you love. If somebody knocks on that door, you open that door. If someone's carrying a burden of pain, you help them carry it. If someone isn't sure what to do, you spur them on to love and good deeds. This is what we do. This is how you play catch. Right? 
And Jesus would say, I set an example. And if I did it, no servant's greater than their master. I was talking to a friend last night. Um, she texted me after services. I'm hiding out real close with her and her husband. And so she texted me after her services and we got into this conversation. And uh, she said, hey, she's like, I really appreciated the conversation last night. She said, our family's been tense all week. Plethora of reasons. Because my family's never tense all week. And so like, she's like, we were just tense all week and at each other and a thing happened and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And she said... I was just convicted by this. And she said, so I went home, I talked to my husband, who's my friend, and she said, we gathered the kids, we built a fire in our fireplace in the living room, and we got a bowl and a towel, and we washed each other's feet. And I wrote her back, I said, that is the most beautiful thing I ever heard in my life. And she, she, just, she said, I, I have some feet washing to do. And as a family, they, they literally just sat and did that. And what's the outcome of that? That they'll never fight again? Of course not. But that this wound was healed? Honey, I'm sorry. That this resentment was relieved? Sweetie, I need to forgive you. I, I've been thinking about this. That these children who were caught up in it, Dad, you, you know, you kind of... Mom, you know, the way you... And I told her, I said, that, that is just beautiful. Because a family that was known for their tension washed each other's feet, and is now known for their love. And Jesus would look and say, that's the power of the cross. It's the power of the cross. Right? And, and I want you to embrace that. And only as you understand what I've done for you, will you be able to love as I have loved you. Bow our heads and close our eyes maybe just for a minute and be still a little bit. The band will come out. And if you ask God some of these questions, gave him some freedom in your, in your lives with it. Right? Jesus, help us. Help me. Through your Holy Spirit, Lord, would you show us and push us and prod us and challenge us and draw us closer to the heart of Christ. Lord, help us to, to see, even right now, bring to mind the dirty feet in our lives and give us the courage and the passion to stand up from the meal and go to them. And then, Lord, allow us the humility to receive it. Lord, even if, if we didn't know that somebody was this upset to receive what's being offered to us. And Lord, to one another in those ways. So in these still moments, would you press in in those powerful ways and draw us closer to you through all of it, Jesus, in your name.
Amen.